0: Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. In today's episode, I'm joined by leading fertility naturopath and nutritionist, Anna Sangster. Anna will be discussing the common causes of fertility issues for both males and females and the importance of charting. She'll also be explaining the dietary, lifestyle and environmental factors that affect fertility and a naturopath's approach to optimizing fertility health. Anna is a naturopath and a nutritionist and the director of Perth Health and Fertility, a naturopathic clinic in Perth, Western Australia. Anna graduated with a Bachelor of Health Science degree in naturopathy and a master's in reproductive medicine. She started her health with Francesca Naish and her team at the prestigious Jocelyn Centre in Sydney, the original Centre for Naturopathic Preconception Healthcare and Fertility Management in Australia. After relocating to Perth, Anna set up her clinic and now has a team of five naturopaths, all who work in the area of general and reproductive medicine. Her clinic is well known for the collaborative work they do with both general practitioners as well as medical fertility specialists. Hi Anna, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show.
1: Thanks Michelle, it's great to be with you.
0: Now, fertility complications affect around one in seven couples in the UK and Ireland, either due to male or female factors. And diet and lifestyle do play a big role in fertility. And there's lots you can do naturally to improve your chances of a healthy conception. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your tips and advice on that. But before we get into fertility health, please can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience as a practitioner?
1: Okay, well, I started studying in the 90s and I was very fortunate to meet some amazing naturopaths who worked in the area of reproductive health and I was very inspired. So I then undertook a a course with Francesca Nate and it sort of all sprung from there. So I finished my Bachelor of Health Science degree and then did some follow-up work in the area of fertility at a couple of different clinics and then was lucky enough to get invited to join the Jocelyn Centre, like you said, and it all just sprang from there. So it's been a pretty amazing journey and seeing the amazing integration now after 20 years of seeing naturopaths and doctors working side by side. Absolutely. It's really, it's really come on and it's really changed the way fertility is
0: now viewed, which is great. So in your practice, you're mainly seeing fertility patients? Yep. So I predominantly
1: see reproductive health. So actually, we see everyone in the spectrum from young girls with menstrual issues all the way through to women going through menopausal problems, and as well as seeing men with their own reproductive issues. But predominantly, I do reproductive work in the area of fertility and my lovely associates. Some of them mainly specialise in fertility and some of them do more general work as well in the area of thyroid
0: health and PCOS and we all have our own little area of specialties. Fantastic. Okay. So Firstly, can we just kick off with like some of what are some of the common causes of fertility issues? And what are the things that are often overlooked when couples are trying to conceive? Okay, well, this one is a fantastic question.
1: So when couples come see us, they either fall into different categories. So it's the couples that have been through the mill and done either years and years or cycles and cycles of IVF, or we have the couples who have only just started trying. And we then have to sort of start looking at where they sit on that spectrum of all the different causes that can be linked to fertility issues. So in terms of male factor, which is a really growing area, so it's a, we, straight away we're looking at, you know, semen quality and sperm health. So we're looking at things like their count, their morphology, their motility. And I think one of the most important things is to ensure that there's what we call in Australia a DNA fragmentation check is done on the health of the sperm. And another word for it is a SCARSA test. So it's really important that a man, we always make a joke, but it's important a man knows what he's batting with. Mm -hmm. Because what you don't want to do is start trying for a few years and then find out that actually you've got a a fundamental issue that needs addressing. Mm -hmm. So sperm health obviously play a really big role and male factor fertility issues is certainly seeming to be on the rise. And then in terms of women, you've got to ascertain where a woman's sitting in terms of her egg quality and also her ovarian reserve. So like we all know, some women are still trying in their 20s, but there's a lot of women who are trying, you know, in their 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. So an assessment of ovarian reserve is really important in terms of structuring treatment, a treatment protocol. Um, it's really important to be looking at the health of the cervical mucus. So, I think that's a really interesting area because in Australia, when we test that and we're looking at the, the vaginal microbiome and all the new, really exciting research into the uterine microbiome, a lot of the time when we're testing the vaginal microbiome, we're actually sending our samples to the UK. Oh, <laughs> which I think is quite interesting. <laughs> um, that's and so, so funny. yeah, so the old way of looking at the vagina was to do a culture. And now they actually send it off to the UK because you have some great labs there and they're looking at the different bacteria in terms of looking at the DNA assessment and trying to understand much more comprehensively what's going on in the, in the vaginal microbiome because there's a lot of studies coming out saying that when people are going undergoing IVF there's a really big correlation between the vaginal microbiome and the uterine microbiome and implantation success. Um, a fundamental area that's really important to, over, to to make sure is being assessed is are the fallopian tubes open? Mm-hmm. What you really don't want to do is get super healthy, address diet and lifestyle, only to find out that your tubes are blocked, so there's a, a physical obstacle, so sperm can't meet the egg. Yeah. Um, we want to make sure that the uterus has a lovely, healthy microenvironment. We want to make sure that the lining is thick enough to allow for implantation, and that's a fundamental area that needs to be addressed. Um, we need to make sure that the, the the embryo is able to go through rapid cell division, that the woman has really good progesterone levels to support a pregnancy. And another area that needs to be looked at in terms of causation for fertility issues is infections. So mm-hmm. is there anything going on in terms of a um, an infection that might be affecting the male? So we do a culture of the semen, or is there an infection for the woman. And a lot of the time when we see couples and they've gone through the mill and they've had all tests done, really simple tests, which once were controversial and now have a lot more research behind them, looking at things like urea plasma and mycoplasma, fundamentally important to assess because not only do we want a woman pregnant, but we want her to maintain that pregnancy and go on to live birth. So all these different areas need to be ticked and that's where we have that lovely collaboration, working with the medical profession, so we can ensure that all the boxes are getting ticked along the way. And then we start looking at the lifestyle factors. So, you want to be looking at the other causes that we know impact on fertility. So, we're looking at a really thorough dietary assessment. We're looking at a really thorough lifestyle assessment. What toxicants are, are women exposed to? What, what are men exposed to? In terms of chemicals, things like phthalates, in terms of BPAs, in terms of all the factors that we know have what's called an endocrine disrupting factor. So, You don't want to be exposed to chemicals, which may be, for example, for a man, lowering testosterone levels, or maybe elevating estrogen levels. And sadly, a lot of these chemicals are really ubiquitous. So we spend a lot of time educating our patients around all the factors, diet and lifestyle, that may be having a really negative impact on their fertility, and they may be really unconscious of it. So it's it's an education process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Lots and lots of stuff to cover. (laughs) There is, there certainly is. So going back to the male fertility in terms of you're saying that that sort of sperm issues are on the rise. Now, what would be the main cause of that? Is that a sort of dietary and lifestyle factor, would you say? Well, a really
1: interesting review came, I think it was published in 2018, possibly 2017. And it was looking at um, the, the link to the reviews actually on our website. It was looking at Uh, It was a global study, so they looked – it was really interesting because Australian men are very seldom included in studies. So it looked at European men, American men, off the top of my head. Um, It looked at Australian men and New Zealand men, so that's even more rare to see in studies. And it basically was saying over the last four decades, sperm counts have decreased by, I think it's about 52.8%. Wow. Like it's really dramatic. And when you look at the causes, the, the, the lead author was talking about, you know, some of the main causes are the chemicals that we're exposed to. So to drive spermatogenesis, which is the making of sperm, we need a man to have good, healthy testosterone levels. So if we're exposed to chemicals that decrease our testosterone levels, we're going to see that play out with lower sperm counts. And I have to say, just to, I mean, I've been practicing now 20 years, in that 20 years, I am seeing younger and younger and younger men with problems mm-hmm. and i think the assumption when they come to see us is always like it's her fault <laughs> you know it's it's the woman's fault and they're always very surprised when actually we point out that their fertility has is a problem and particularly their count or the morphology or the motility has been really affected negatively the great thing is that education you can turn it around but i think it's a fundamentally important thing to do if you're working in the area of fertility as a naturopath, is to absolutely ensure that the male has had a semen analysis. And I think it's really important to ensure that it's done at a fertility lab. If I put in front of you two analyses, one from a bog-standard pathology lab and one from a fertility lab, you wouldn't necessarily think it was the same man. So I think it needs to be assessed incredibly carefully so you know exactly what a man is batting with because you don't want to waste time.
0: Absolutely and that's I think a lot of people will be surprised about that as well yes. to hear that you know you could, because it's the same like you've got the same semen two different yeah. labs it's like how can that happen? I know. and I think what's really exciting and important for men to
1: understand so when you have a couple and you've done the investigations and you have to tell a man that his sperm is a problem I think the really important thing for men to understand is women are born with all their eggs. Men make sperm constantly. Like every day, a man makes about 1.5 million sperm. It sounds like a lot, wow. but you need a lot to get someone pregnant. That's right. So, what we need men to understand is is that what you've been what you ejaculate today is a sum of everything you've been exposed to in the last three months. So, if we mm-hmm. start cleaning up our act, getting neat and tidy, getting rid of the alcohol, you know, addressing the chemicals that we're exposed to and whatnot, looking for nutritional deficiencies, and you know, finding the causes. Then three months later, their sperm count can be exponentially improved. So it's something that although men hate to hear that they have an issue, I'm always slightly relieved when it's a male factor issue because we know that men have the capacity to continually make new sperm.
0: Yeah, and I think that gives people more hope, doesn't it? I think when it's something that's a bit it, more, absolutely. that they can't change, that's when uh, yeah things are a lot more challenging. That's it. So. So just going on to the female now, so charting and understanding her menstrual cycle and body is really important when trying to conceive. So can you explain why this is and what is happening each month when a woman ovulates and how she can successfully chart and assess mucus levels? Yes. So it's always interesting when a couple comes to see you and you say, you know,
1: how are you working out when you ovulate? And the woman's like, well, we have intercourse every Monday. And you go, well, that's never going to work, is it? So I think as women, we're often we're often raised with this contraceptive mentality when we're younger, when we're you know, in our late teens and early 20s of, oh, my goodness, we don't want to get pregnant. And you have this idea that if you have intercourse, you're very likely to get pregnant. But what a woman needs to understand is within that menstrual cycle, so from one period to the next period, there's only a very narrow window where a woman can get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that the woman can identify that window. So... It's the, as our oestrogen levels build up, our mucus in our, at the cervix in our vagina builds up and it makes the vagina more hospitable to sperm and it makes it safe for the sperm to, to be there. So what people need to understand is the vagina isn't actually really acidic. It has a, a pH of about 3.5 to 4 and that's a measure of acidity. So it's quite an acidic environment whereas semen has a pH of 8. So it's actually quite alkaline. So it's almost a mismatch. But we make this lovely mucus as we build up closer to ovulation. And it really helps protect the sperm. So we teach women to chart their physical symptoms so they're charting their mucus so that they can see that lovely window. So for some women they might have mucus for two, three, four days, some women may only have it for a day. So it's fundamentally important that a woman understands she needs to be having intercourse right around that time of having that hospitable healthy friendly mucus and what we need is unfortunately what you do see when a couple's been trying for a a, a while is they have this flurry of activity around ovulation so lots of intercourse and then they're all a bit exhausted so they don't have intercourse for the next few weeks and if they haven't fallen pregnant then they start again and have intercourse around ovulation so what we don't want is our couples having sort of three week old sperm that hasn't been ejaculated as they're as a sperm that they'll ejaculate at the next intercourse attempt. So one of the things we have to say is we really want you to be getting rid of your old sperm, so clearing the pipes, so to speak. So <laughs> we, need, we need a couple to be having regular intercourse at least a couple of times a week to clear the pipes so that when a woman is getting close to ovulation and she's charting her mucus and she's looking for that, it's called spinbar kite or that lovely raw, it looks like raw egg white, so stretchy, goozy, slippery, slimy mucus. When she has that beautiful build-up mucus, then the male partner has got rid of this old sperm so he's got lovely fresh sperm ready for their, their intercourse attempts and we do, we're quite particular in our clinic so we do like to see you know what the man's semen analysis is like to make sure that you know you don't want to be trying four times in one day because by the time you're having your fourth ejaculation chances are you're just ejaculating if you're, if you're able to ejaculate it's just going to be semen. So so some couples, you know, we sort of say you really need to be you know, storing it up a bit and trying every second day or every third day, and some couples it's every day. But it is important that they can identify that window, and there are different ways of doing that. So I'm a big fan of women checking their mucus. I also don't mind women weighing on a what we call an LH indicator stick. Um, but I'm not necessarily a big fan of a lot of the apps that women use because sometimes they're just working on an algorithm that is using a mathematical equation to tell them when they should be having intercourse. And that may not work terribly well, firstly, when they don't have much information in the app. But secondly, if they're missing that beautiful mucus that's coming. So fundamentally, a woman needs to be able to identify their mucus. And unfortunately, I think when women talk about charting, they're always talking about taking their temperature. But what they've got to realise is the temperature goes up because they've ovulated. So if the egg only lasts 12 hours, you don't want to wake up in the morning and go, brilliant, my temperature's lovely and high, because by that stage the egg may have already gone. So they need to chart their mucus and fundamentally understand their mucus. And then really when we teach women to chart their temperature, they're doing it just to confirm that they have ovulated. But they need to be putting the sperm in because the sperm's, if, a health, if your man's got a nice healthy sperm, it can survive three to five days stored up in that beautiful lovely mucus waiting for ovulation.
0: Yeah. No, super important, and I think a lot of women just won't be aware of that. Um, so, yeah, very. Thanks so much for explaining that. So, oh. what are some of the dietary and lifestyle and environmental factors that affect fertility?
1: Okay, so this is really important and interesting. A lot of the research around this area does come from some of the research done on women in IVF settings because you've got this great clinical cohort where they can sort of divide them into groups and and have a look at different factors. So we know that um, some fundamental areas are we want a clean, healthy diet. Mm -hmm. So we want women to be stabilising their blood sugars. So fertility is not great when a woman has giant big surges of blood sugars going up and down and up and down. And, And sadly, a lot of the standard Australian diets, which has the acronym SAD, or the standard American diets, and I'm sure it's probably the same in the UK, a lot of their diets, you know, sort of are very carbohydrate heavy. So it's breakfast cereals for breakfast, a muffin at morning tea, a sandwich at lunch, crackers for afternoon tea, and then people have their big slab of steak or protein at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And what we encourage people to do is make sure that they're using a little bit of protein regularly throughout the day to make sure that we're anchoring our blood sugars and we've got a nice, stable diet with a nice, stable glycemic approach because it's really important when we're looking at all aspects of health. but it, particularly with implantation success, we don't want giant big ups and downs with our blood sugars. We don't want women going 12 hours without eating. We don't want you know anything that's lacking in moderation. So it's, that's really important. And then a lot of the research that's come to light around fertility and, and health comes back to antioxidant status of the diet. So it's really important that women and men, particularly men as well, are protecting their gab- their gametes. So our gametes are our egg and our sperm. And the way that we protect them is by having a diet that's really high in antioxidants. So a lot of your listeners would be aware of some of the nutrients that people use for fertility. Things like vitamin C is very helpful. CoQ10 can be really helpful. But we're actually able to get also a lot of, these, a lot of different antioxidants in our diet. So we always make a bit of a joke when we're talking to people to explain it, saying, look, you're gonna walk out of here and you're going to go and breathe in some fumes from the, the truck that drives past, or you're going to go and sit in a car and breathe in all the chemicals that are off gassing. And the most important thing is, every single time you eat, you've got a, an ability to eat beautiful, healthy food rich in antioxidants. So you're continually providing antioxidant support to the developing sperm and the eggs as they go through that final maturation process. So diet becomes a, an incredibly um, important part of fertility, but it also protects. Your your gametes, your eggs and sperms. So um, the other fundamental thing is we always like to think that if we teach our patients to eat well, then they will eat well in their pregnancy and they therefore will have a healthier pregnancy and healthier offspring. Yeah. So it's very much about getting sugars out of the diet, stabilising blood sugars with a bit of protein at every meal, and also making sure that every meal is an opportunity to nourish the body with antioxidants.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And going organic as well because of the pesticides. Yeah, well,
1: that, that's right. And that's really interesting because that was actually sort of has been identified as one of the factors that can negatively impact on fertility and, and it's looking at male fertility as well. So um, we always say to people, you know, if you're going to go organic, because sometimes I don't know what it's like in England, but it can be more expensive. So we always say really important to choose your organics wisely, like what you're going to spend money on. So you might, your listeners might be aware of the Clean Fifteen and the Dirty Dozen. So there's a really good um, group called the Environmental Working Group, mm-hmm. and the EWG is their website. So they have lots and lots of information about all the different chemicals that can impact negatively on fertility. And you want to choose your organics wisely, so you are choosing foods that has, you know, have a higher. Um, so you, you're avoiding foods that have a higher pesticide residue, and you're choo- if you're going to not eat everything organic. The foods you choose not to eat organic needs to be the ones that have been sprayed the least or have less systemic uptake of the pesticides. But yeah, organic is expensive, but it can be quite important.
0: Absolutely. And the clean 15 would be those 15 top vegetables that have the less pesticide residue for those that aren't aware.
1: Yes, and sadly now we call it the Dirty Dozen plus six, so oh. so really Dirty 18 <laughs> doesn't ring off the tongue, but it's, it's a growing list, unfortunately. And I think also, and back to the lifestyle sort of factors, I think that just as in terms of helping your listeners, I think the other thing is there's a lot of information that they can get from that website, the EWG, the Environmental Working Group, and we send our, um, our patients to, so again, there's a link that you can get on our website to their chemical database. So they can have a wee look at all their products that they use
0: you know, on their body,
1: in every day-to-day chemical, uh, day-to-day makeups and shower gels and shampoos and conditioners and perfumes and whatnot. And you can actually look at the ingredients list and enter it into the database and it actually gives you a, a, a listing as to how toxic that chemical is. And you can read a wee bit about it and it, you can get a sense of whether that's going to be detrimental to, to fertility. But because, so right. when we look at like those chemicals that we were talking about before, the phthalates, so they're plasticizers and they're put into a lot of personal care products to adhere smell to the skin. So, you know, when mm-hmm. you go to someone's house and you use their hand soap and you go, Oh, lovely, that smells like lime or lemon, and two hours later you can still smell it on your skin, and four hours later you can still smell it on your skin. We've well, just enveloped your skin in phthalates. And phthalates are known endocrine disruptors, and that's that category of chemicals we're talking about that lower testosterone levels. So fundamentally, yes. we want to be identifying them in our household and avoiding them. And, and the great news is, and I'm sure it's the same in England, is that so many of the chemists and health food shops now have beautiful ranges of, of products that are, are phthalate-free. So, you know, there's a lot that yes everyone can do just on minor, minor little issues like changing your hand soap, changing your shampoo, just to bring that level of phthalates down because it's really important that men aren't exposed to it. And also when a woman's pregnant, you don't want to be exposed to it because it can impact on the health of the offspring. So, you know, mm-hmm. we don't want to be, inter- we, we, we talk about it as a trigenerational effect. So if mum's pregnant with a beautiful little growing boy baby and we're using chemicals that lower testosterone or what's called androgen levels, that can actually impact on that baby's reproductive function later on in life. So, education
0: becomes really important. Absolutely. And I think it's, as you say, people, everyone loves fragrances, don't ah. they? And I, we sort of did a, an article on that recently. And it's so scary because they're everywhere. Like, mm. you know, you walk into a shop or the, the airport and you've got like this waft of, yes. you know, perfumes or, and people are, like, oh, it smells so fresh in here. When the reality is that's just seeping into your body yeah. through your lungs. And, yeah causing havoc and people just... And, and that's where education is key because I think once women
1: well, and men start realising, wow, this is lowering my testosterone levels, I think they become a lot less attractive as something you want to be spraying on your body. And I think that... So we, we spend you know a, a decent amount of our first consultation just in that education process where we help people identify these chemicals. And I think, again, that lovely empowering thing is most of these chemicals like phthalates have a six or approximately a six hour half life. The problem is that they're ubiquitous, so we're exposed to them over and over and over all day long. But if you make that conscious decision, right, I want to get this category of chemicals out, and you look at your personal care products and you look at the so phthalates are also quite high in food rats. So if you look at you know what you're eating your food in and what you're you know, what the chemicals you're exposed to during the day, very quickly you can reduce your exposure, which is fantastic because it takes that two and a half months for men to make their sperm. So if we clean up their lifestyle, you really do see that their sperm counts start going up, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, and just improve your general health as well. So <laughs> improve your general health. Excellent. And also household cleaning products as well. And I think people are sort of spraying, spraying, spraying. If you look at under the sink, you know, people will have like tons of cleaning products. And even your washing up liquid and um, washing yep. powder, all of that will contain All these kind of fragrances and chemicals and so
1: um, there is another really good um, resource for patients and that is looking at a website called buildingbiology.com.au and that one is lovely because it actually um, it's an amazing it's an amazing naturopath called Nicole Bilgema and she really provides a phenomenal amount of information on her website and we use it we recommend our patients have a wee look so that they can get familiar with what chemicals do have an impact on fertility and what they can do about it to be proactive.
0: Excellent, thanks for sharing that. So yeah, we'll pop those um, links in the show notes as well and also the EWG because that sounds like a great database. Yes, really helpful. With all their chemicals, yeah, Yeah. excellent. So how about other factors like stress and caffeine, What, what sort of effects do they have on fertility? Huge, absolutely huge and I think it's quite funny
1: because every couple that's had fertility issues has been told at one time or another, just go away on a holiday, take some time out, like, you know, you'll get pregnant. And that might have been so in their first six months of trying. But often by the time they come to see us, they've been trying for three or four years. And so taking time out is probably not high on their agenda.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's really important that they learn to um, manage their day-to-day stress whilst they're undergoing fertility investigations and fertility treatment stress is phenomenally big as a factor in fertility it's a stressful journey anyway having fertility issues but lifestyle issues i mean everybody's stressed these days it would seem it's globally quite hard not to be quite stressed Mm -hmm. at the moment i imagine particularly in england Yes, so everybody is, does have stress and we need to work out how can we minimise that for each of our couples. So whether it's looking at their sleep health and ensuring that their sleep quality is really important so that they have that restorative sleep, and we do a lot of work with, you know, managing sleep issues, whether it's looking at, and, and like you said, with caffeine, we actually encourage all of our patients to stop coffee. So less of a factor for male fertility, much more of a factor for female fertility, but for anyone that's quite stressed, taking a stimulant often isn't really helpful. Mm-hmm. So um, generally, what we, we talk about um, working within a preconception window. So the preconception window is sort of about a three-month time frame when we're sort of saying, listen, let's get you really healthy. It fits in with the maturation, the final maturation phase of the egg, and it fits in with that, the, the, the sort of 67 or 70 days it takes for a man to make new sperm. And during that time frame, we're teaching our couples to eat. We're teaching our couples to manage stress. We're teaching our couples to come off caffeine, which is a bit of a a process in itself (laughs) because sometimes you get quite nasty withdrawal side effects. And we're teaching them about lifestyle and, and identifying different factors that can be negatively impacting on fertility. So whether it's like the phthalates we were talking about, whether it's exposure to chemicals like BPA or whether it's exposure to things like heavy metals. So that can be a really big issue and really important for couples to identify what might be an issue. So heavy metals are... A, a really big issue and um, it depends, you have to do a sort of a lifestyle assessment and look at what's going on, you know, what, what um, where does a man work, where does a, a woman work, what they might be exposed to, are they renovating their home? Because um, some of the really interesting cases we've solved where we've got some say, for example, fundamental sperm issues, you know, it might be exposure to lead, it might be exposure to cadmium. So working through and identifying all the factors that might be impacting on your lifestyle become really important. Mm-hmm. And then teaching some stress management techniques. So whether it's, you know, for some people, it's not relaxing to have a massage. They might hate the idea of lying down and having a massage. And for other people, it's the best thing on the planet. Yeah. So it's identifying what works individually for each person and to try and help them build that into their routine and not see it as an indulgence, but rather see it as a necessity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we need to have that time out to, so that stress isn't. They, they actually talk about um, the hormone cortisol, which is what we what we, what we make when we're very stressed, they talk about it as a giant endocrine disruptor. So it's the number one thing that really does mess up our hormones. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally important that we educate our patients around the impact that stress has and then start trying to be proactive to give them ways to manage that stress. Yeah. And we have our lovely, I'm sure you've got amazing herbalists in, in the UK, but that's where we also, you know, it comes into its own using herbal medicine to help manage, you know, the nervous system.
0: Absolutely, yes, we love herbs. But we'll talk about some more strategies a little bit later on when we get onto the naturopath's approach to fertility health. So, what are some of the routine tests carried out when fertility issues arise? And what tests do you recommend couples should do if they're experiencing fertility issues? Okay, so it's
1: all done on a case-by-case basis. So, like I said, some couples come in and they come in with a giant big file and they've had years of testing done, and some couples come in fairly under tested. Um, part of our job is to literally go through every piece of paper and work out where there's holes because if they've come to us after years of testing you can guarantee there'll be things that have been overlooked. So I always talk to my patients and say, right, let's keep it logical. So it's fertility can seem really overwhelming for people, particularly when there's words that they don't understand and terms that they don't understand and tests that they don't understand. But if you break it down, it's very logical. The woman needs eggs. We need to make sure she's ovulating. The man needs sperm, we need to make sure it's good quality. The sperm needs to be able to get through the mucus, so that's the first potential obstacle. Then the sperm needs to be able to get through two open, fallopian tubes. So what we do is we test that the woman's ovulating, and an easy way of doing that is to check that she's making progesterone in the post-ovulation part of the cycle. we, Like I said before, we send all of our men for a semen analysis at a fertility lab. We use a procedure called a Hyco c which is, it's a very big word sonography, and basically it's a ultrasound solu- an ultrasound procedure where they um use a saline solution and it's the um, less technical term is a fill and spill so it's gently puts water into the uterus, out through the fallopian tubes, and you want to make sure, and obviously we don't do this, we refer out for it, but you want to make sure that both fallopian tubes are open. And that's incredibly important. So if a woman's had ever had pelvic surgery, if a woman has ever had any infections, you might have blockages in the fallopian tubes. And as a naturopath, we don't want to clean up the diet, get them super healthy, send them away, and actually have a potential where sperm and egg can't meet. So fundamentally, we need to know, can sperm get through the tubes? Um then we need to I always also when we're looking at doing um imaging I want to make sure that a woman is able to have a nice, healthy, thick enough endometrial lining. So as a naturopath, we're always asking our patients, how many pads do you use, how many tampons do you use, what's going on there? Because you want to make sure that she so our blood loss when we have a period is a bit of a reflection of how thick that lining. Might be getting, and we want to ensure that that lining is getting thick enough. And when we work with our couples that are actually undergoing IVF, we educate them to make sure that they're asking the fertility specialist how thick's my lining before transfer, because there's some amazing nutrients that we can work that we can use to ensure that a woman has a thick enough, healthy enough lining to look at improving their chances of implantation. So if you think about it logically. They can actually put sperm and egg together in a process called ICSI and they can make an embryo but it still doesn't have a phenomenally high chance of working and that's because that final frontier that implantation is the one area that we that isn't controllable so what we do is we do everything we can to make the uterine environment as hospitable to as hospitable to an embryo implanting as possible and so um i think that I'd love to tell your listeners about. There's a new test that's actually available. Um, And this one, actually, when we work with fertility specialists, they take a a biopsy from the uterus and they send it off to Spain or to Japan. And they can actually now test the microenvironment or the microbiome of the uterus. So some of our harder cases that we haven't been able to crack when for example you know you've got someone who can harvest brilliantly and have wonderful egg collections they make amazing embryos and then they have failure after failure after failure at implantation and then we say stop you know you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and that's when we start looking at some of these more interesting tests and some of the cases we've had just well now 2020 where women have had repeated miscarriages or repeated implantation failures. And then they've sent the, the bio the fertility specialist has sent the biopsy off and they found that they've got the wrong bacteria in the uterus. And so then we can correct for it. Yeah, it's really, it's the most, I mean, for me, it's probably one of the more fascinating areas of fertility at the moment where you go, wow, you know, 10 years ago, we used to think the uterus was sterile and now, we you know, it has its own microbiome. And as naturopaths, we can work with the fertility specialist and look at specific probiotics used orally and vaginally to start trying to influence the health of their uterus. And the results are really exciting, like phenomenally exciting. In fact, the first lady that I worked with ended up with twins. Oh, wow! We always, I don't know. So, when the very first, so the testing is called Emma and Alice testing, so they're acronyms. But when, so the Emma and Alice testing, Um, the first lady I worked with ended up with twins and I was going, goodness me, this could all go terribly wrong if this happens each time. (laughs) Thankfully, the second one had a singleton. But it is, I think, when you look at the the, the terrible term which we never accept, which is unexplained infertility, to me that really means you just haven't found it yet. So we keep investigating, we keep looking. And it might be diet, it might be lifestyle, it might be vaginal microbiome, it might be now the uterus microbiome. And there is it's just such an exciting area and i think it's an area where there's a beautiful merging of naturopathy and and fertility specialists working collaboratively because you can make such a fundamental difference to someone's ability to go on and, and become parents so it doesn't it's not a test that everybody needs obviously because you know it might be a sperm issue it might be a floating tube issue but if you've got this sort of unexplained picture where you're getting repeated implantation failure with embryos that have been tested and are genetically normal, then it is a test that we start, you know, conversing about and it's it's really exciting.
0: That is exciting. Now, I hope she called her twins Emma and Alice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would have been good. She didn't, but she's a very good one. Next time I might make that suggestion. So back on to the testing. So then obviously then um, we test all the nutrients. So we're really big in making sure that someone's nutrition is replete. So vitamin D, fundamentally important. Vitamin B12, fundamentally important. A a full thyroid panel and looking at thyroid antibodies, checking someone's homocysteine levels, their zinc and copper levels, checking... um, we do a carrier typing, so that's making sure the woman is um, XX and the man is XY, um, a high vaginal swab. So every single one of my patients will be doing a high vaginal swab and we're making sure that we understand the microbiome of the vagina. So what you don't want is to have an asymptomatic, so that means no symptoms, an asymptomatic picture where you actually don't have a healthy vaginal microbiome. You might have Candida albicans, so you might have thrush, you might have strep B, you might have something that may be negatively impacting on the sperm's journey up to the egg. So a high vaginal swab is critically important. And some of the research coming out now is looking at um, IVF success, being able to be correlated with a woman's vaginal microbiome. So really important that that's undertaken. And we do them fairly regularly. So if a woman's having lots of... um, Lots of procedures going through the vaginas if they're doing IVF. We want to make sure that we're staying on top of it and that we're using selective and and very specific probiotics to ensure that we've got that really healthy microbiome. Um, Like I said before, we get all of our patients to do a urine test, which is for mycoplasma and urea plasma. And um, one of the tests I think that's probably really worthwhile talking about is looking at the ovarian reserve tests. So sadly, in the last decade, I think we've seen more younger women having what's called um, premature ovarian insufficiency or POI and what that means is younger women running out of eggs early and um, there is some research now where they're looking at and this is that trigenerational effect we were talking about before when um, if mum was a smoker when she was growing you inside. So I, I'm not sure if all your listeners know but when you're pregnant with a, a girl baby When she's inside of you, she has all her eggs. In fact, when she's twenty weeks gestational age, um, she has more eggs than when she's born. So so it's a very unusual thing. So you actually have all those eggs that you are guarding her future fertility. So you don't want to be exposed to nasty chemicals. You don't want to be smoking. You don't want to be drinking because it will impact on her future fertility and her ability to go on and have children. So some of these young women in their twenties that we see with reduced fertility because they have lowered ovarian reserve, sometimes that's a factor of what their mum was exposed to in, in when she was pregnant. So there's different testing that can be done. So some women will do an ultrasound and they will look at what's called an actual follicle count. And some women will do a blood test, which once upon a time is called the ovarian or the egg timer test. Um, and it's, it's not a particularly great name. It's an anti malarium hormone test, so AMH. And it's basically, for me, it's, it's not, not necessarily a question of quality, but it is a bit of a time test where you can go, hey, your, your levels are a wee bit low. Let's not go on a three-year holiday and then start trying. Let's get the skates on and start trying now. And it's a really quite a good test if a woman's wondering, should I start trying? And, you know, she might be 35 and thinking, should I start trying or should I do another three years in my career? And then we might do that test and say, hey, this should be a really good time to start trying, particularly if you want to have numerous kids. So understanding your time frame around fertility is important. And particularly we see if women suddenly start having shorter cycles. So instead of the normal 28-day cycle, if a woman comes in and she's having shorter cycles, it's a bit of a hint that, wow, we might want to start looking at ovarian reserve and we might do either send her for an antral follicle count or we might do the AMH blood test and get a little bit of an understanding of where she's sitting on that sort of lovely broad spectrum of our ovarian reserve. But it is an an important test. So that's the sort of way that we do it. So we want sperm, we want eggs, we want open tubes, we want to understand the mucus, and we want to make sure that we're covering all the nutrients that we know impact fertility. So iron status, vitamin D, B12, Um, looking at zinc and copper they're really important as well so um, that's where we're working with our gps to make sure that all the nutrients and all the tests are are covered because you don't want to ever make assumptions with fertility you don't ever want to assume that everything's been done you want and i always say to my patients i'm really nerdy i want to be ticking every single box to make sure
0: that there's not one single thing we don't have a
1: you know a finger on the pulse with
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a really key point because sometimes or quite often things do get missed, don't they? They do, definitely. And that, and that is, you know, sadly, when a couple comes in and they bring
1: their big file, you can sort of see, wow, this hasn't been checked yet or this hasn't been checked yet. And it's lovely that they still have all those options open, that they can sort of go down this avenue and, and explore this avenue. And I'd have to say nine times out of 10, when a couple come to us after having issues with fertility and they've tried IVF, numerous times they haven't no one's taught them about diet no one's taught them about the impact that stabilizing blood sugars and increasing antioxidant and whatnot can, you know it, no one's addressed any of those things so it's wonderful that you can address them because it puts them back in the ball game, gives them hope again and gets them that that bit closer to parenthood
0: absolutely so now if somebody isn't sort of going down the ivf route and they're just obviously having some issues do they have to go to a fertility lab to get these tests or could they just work with like a naturopath and their doctor? Absolutely. no. Well, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how it is in England, but in
1: Australia, if you're just if you're having fertility issues, your first protocol is, depending on which way you go philosophically, but we always sort of work collaboratively with the GP. You don't have to do, see a fertility specialist at all as long as you are with a GP and a naturopath that really understand the sequential way that we need the, treat, you know, the, the testing to be done. So in Australia, GPs can send for the semen analysis to any fertility lab. GPs can send for all the blood tests and GPs can refer to have the test done called the HycoC to make sure that the tubes are open. GPs can send for every single one of those tests. So if a woman educates herself as to what needs to be done, then if her philosophy is that she doesn't want to use IVF, that's absolutely fine. She can start ticking off every single one of those boxes and keep it logical. So, you know, what's my mucus like and what's my, what's the sperm like and are the tubes open? And she can literally do every one of those. But I do think if your philosophy is that you want to go very naturally, which is absolutely wonderful, I think you still need that marrying or that merging of using the different testing because you don't want to try for two years only to find out that you've got some vaginal infection or you've got blocked sloping tubes so I think just an intelligent approach ticking the boxes is really important
0: yeah okay great and a question that we got asked by one of our listeners is is there any way of telling how fertile you are other than trying and getting pregnant quickly <laughs> wouldn't that be lovely um yes <laughs> how can you tell how fertile you are so I guess
1: you could um I think the number one thing I send I do with a couple to see how fertile they are they are is send the man for a semen analysis. I think that's really important because there's no way a man can know how fertile he is until he's had that test done. So he could be the biggest, muscliest, most virile looking man on the planet, but unless you have proof that he has sperm that can swim in the right direction and a good number of them that are a good shape, so that's a morphology, then it it holds no sway, they absolutely need that testing done. In terms of a woman, I think understanding her mucus and understanding that she ovulates and has good progesterone following that, I think that's important. Um, To fundamentally be able to say, I am a fertile woman, I think you need to also make sure that you know your tubes are open. So, you know, there's a few things that I think you really should ensure. And I guess, I think the other thing, Michelle, is it depends on age. If you're 22 and you decide, I want to have a baby, then, you know, you've got some years up your sleeve to um, take it a little bit more slowly. If you're 42 and you want to have a baby and you want to do it naturally, I still think you need to do the test to make sure that you are not going in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, very good point. Now, let's look at the naturopath's approach to fertility. Uh, What key steps can couples take to improve their fertility and what dietary and lifestyle recommendations as a priority for enhancing fertility? I know we've touched on quite a few things as we've gone in terms of the diet and antioxidants and getting rid of caffeine, but is there anything that we haven't covered that you think would be really important? Yeah, so I think we're looking at the different
1: nutrients that are key to fertility is really
0: important. So um,
1: we are seeing more and more vegans, Um, having issues with fertility. And I think that because veganism is very trendy and popular globally, I think that people need to understand that you need to have fundamental nutrients in the right amounts. And if you have decided to have a restricted diet, then you still need to make sure that you're somewhere getting those nutrients into your diet so you know all of our patients will will do a dietary assessment and if we feel like okay so let's if we for example if we were to look at a vegan if um, a patient has a vegan diet then we need to check obviously most vegan people know um, that they need to check their iron they need to know that they need to check their b12 but a lot of our vegan patients don't realize they also need to check their zinc they need to check their copper status they need to check their iodine status their selenium status so There's a lot of nutrients that are really fundamental, either to protecting the egg or to different aspects of the sperm. So whether it's looking at the head of the sperm, the mid-piece of the sperm or the tail, certain nutrients play certain key roles in all those different aspects and they need to be assessed for. So the naturopathic approach is, once we've ticked off the fundamentals, we need to then really drill down and go, what might be missing in this diet? So a key one I would have to imagine for people in England is vitamin D status. So I would say if you have low levels of vitamin D, they need correcting and um, fundamentally important for both sperm and egg health. I think it's important to point out that it's not an ad hoc thing that you do because not enough vitamin D. For example, if we were to take the quality of DNA inside the head of the sperm, so when we look at that test where we test the DNA or the DNA fragmentation, If you have low levels of vitamin D, you are more likely to have more damaged DNA in the head of your sperm. But if you have super high levels of vitamin D, you may also have the same problem. So, what you want to do is get your levels tested and know where you want to be sitting. And I would imagine in your wintertime, and with people not going outdoors very much in the summertime at the moment, that there's going to be a lot of vitamin D deficiency. So, having it tested, knowing where you sit, knowing how to supplement becomes really important. iodine status really important for the thyroid particularly for our pregnant women who are going to be you know maintaining a pregnancy we need we need their thyroid assessed we need it understood and we need if they haven't got an iodine rich diet then we will be looking at supplementing with iodine um the same with you know certain nutrients like um making sure that people have adequate folate on board making sure zinc is zinc status is is really incredibly important in australia we seem to have lots of people who have really low levels of zinc and um you know it's partly dependent on uptake but it's also partly dependent on what soils are where you're living and what soils you know how much zinc is in the soils but really important that zinc status is assessed and um, as we are seeing more and more women starting later we've got those certain nutrients with that sort of age related decline so coenzyme q10 a really important nutrient. And I think what's lovely, when I started 20 years ago, we used to get feedback from patients saying, oh, my doctor says we don't need any nutrients, we don't need any vitamins. Forgetting, of course, that folic acid is vitamin B9. But now what's wonderful is that a lot of the laboratories, a lot of the fertility labs here are using our nutrients. So we're seeing um, a lot of the fertility labs using things like vitamin E. We see a lot of the fertility labs now routinely prescribing coenzyme Q10. We see a lot of the fertility labs routinely prescribing inositol for certain patients. So I think it's becoming much more mainstream, which is great. So, you know, a really, up. I've caught up, that's right. So a really good dietary assessment and then a really good understanding of what each individual patient may be lacking is important. And then I think that whole wonderful, amazing new area, well, not new, but newish area of understanding the microbiomes is really important, so we like our patients to do that vaginal microbiome assessment. Just really important that people understand in terms of the analysis testing that is done through a fertility lab, and mm-hmm. it's in its infancy. It's you know it's only been around for a, a little while, but it is seeming to provide some really interesting answers for couples with long-standing you know unexplained infertility. So um, for some couples, it's revolutionary. And I think the most important thing that patients need to understand is you can't just go to any health food shop and say, I'd like a probiotic base. So probiotics need to be very individually prescribed and they need to be very evidence-based. So mm-hmm. I would say, oh, controversial, but maybe 50%, 60% of the, the probiotics on in you know, a health food shop over here, I wouldn't bother with. Like you need to be prescribing very specifically for very specific areas of the body depending on what you're trying to achieve. So that's where, you know, your listeners, you know, making sure that they're working with a naturopath who's testing appropriately and then prescribing probiotics very specifically is really important.
0: Absolutely. Because I think a lot of people that you say the word probiotics and they just think, I'll just go grab the nearest one at the supermarket, you know, or the health store.
1: Yes, and I think that not understanding that, for example, some probiotics might be specific for eczema, or some might be, well, not specific for, but have evidence that supports their use in eczema. And some might have evidence that supports their use in reflux. Some might have evidence that supports their use in constipation or in diarrhea. And you don't want to get those two mixed up. So, really important that you, you know, we're targeting the area. And so, there's really amazing, I mean, it's come along in leaps and bounds looking and understanding the vaginal microbiome. And it's one of the few microbiomes in the body that is not meant to be very diverse. So, um, you know, when we talk about the gastrointestinal microbiome, we're talking about having a wonderful diversity. But in the vagina, we really want a lactobacillus dominated, in particular strains of lactobacillus dominated vagina. So understanding it and encouraging the right microbiome is really important.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. No, thanks for flagging that up. So how about some of the other factors, you know, especially for male, like things about like having a hot bath and phone use, not keeping their phone <laughs> and Wi-Fi, because I know you're really big on that. Yes. Talk to us about some of those things that people might not know and they do like, you know, charging their phone by their bed and things yes. like that.
1: Well done. So that's absolutely right. So um, if we, we've, we've got to look at the lifestyle factors because it is, women are starting later, men's fertility is probably, I think, seeming to be more markedly declining. And it's in the media, at least over here, it's really portrayed as it's a, you know, often a woman's issue, but women are just starting later. Whereas we have this fundamental issue of younger and younger people having lower and lower sperm counts and more damage to the sperm. So understanding what factors damage sperm is really important. So like you flagged, radiation is an issue. So Radiation, so I, I, when a couple come in, I always sort of say, Have you got a phone in your pocket when we get to the radiation section? And I'm always a bit aghast by not just one, but one in the front, one on the other side, one, you know, in the back pocket. So some of my patients are pulling out two or three phones the work phone, the home wow. phone. I know, and you're naturally radiating your testicles, so it's not a good idea. So I always said, If I've had my children, pop them up on the desk near me. <laughs> and we don't like men popping them in their top pocket because, of, you know, we don't want it around the breast tissue. So really, trying to avoid radiation around the testes is is fundamentally important. We have to be realistic. We live in a world where if you're not on your mobile phone, someone standing next to you is, and if you're not on your laptop, you know, hot spotting off your phone, someone else is. So we're all exposed to radiation all day. But we do encourage people to have um, a look around their house and try and make their house a sort of a bit of a sanctuary. So let's not charge our mobile phone right next to our head. And if we are going to, well, let's put it on flight mode. And if we can, let's take it out of the bedroom and make that bedroom a place for sleeping rather than some sort of, you know, entertainment, stereo, wi fis you know, video, what, what Netflix sort of area. Let's keep the bedroom at least so we've got hopefully about eight hours a night where we're keeping that, you know, as healthy as possible. And I think a really interesting cohort that's sort of looked at is... Young teenage boys who start going through spermatogenesis. So, when they go through puberty, they start making sperm. And there's very few teenage boys these days that don't have at least one mobile phone glued to their pocket pretty much endlessly. Then they are in a Wi Fi school, they go home to their Wi Fi house, and they generally sleep with their phone right underneath their pillow. So I think what we need to do is just have a greater respect for the body making endless amounts of sperm. And we want that process to be as facilitated as possible rather than sort of constantly interrupted and damaged. So, yeah, radiation is a big one. And it's the same with, you know, we encourage our patients to be very cautious if they're going for x-rays. We sort of say, look, you know, you need to get an x-ray, but do ask for that lead apron. You know, cover everything up because you want to make sure that your testicles are exposed to the minimal amount of radiation possible, not plugging a phone into them.
0: Absolutely. Mm. So there's lots of, there are you know,
1: so many lifestyle areas that people can just slowly start making a difference to, and it is just a matter of education. But it does, you know, it's their exposure to plastic and exposure to um, Got you know personal care products and your exposure to radiation and what water they're drinking and you know not having the stimulants. But each small little thing adds up, and if we if we let them add up, it can have a detrimental effect on fertility. And if we turn them around, it can have a fantastically positive effect on fertility. So it's often the sum of lots of little small behavioral changes that can start making that difference, so that couples are heading in the right direction with their fertility. Absolutely. And that's a great thing.
0: So filtered water is a must as well, isn't it? Well, I do
1: think it depends on, we talk a lot about sort of depending on what um, water filter you need to get, and it depends on where you're living. But yeah, we do encourage our patients to filter their water, um, because we don't want lots of chlorine, because, you know, chlorine is designed, it's wonderful, it makes us a developed nation, and we have safe water supplies. But we don't necessarily, we want to then filter it out before it goes into our body. Um, we want to make sure that we're not getting pesticide residue and runoff and whatnot. So, yeah, a good water filter is really important to having, um, you know, to promoting general good health.
0: Absolutely. And I just wanted to touch quickly on just the emotional health, because I know sort of stress and um, will play into that, because anyone going through fertility issues, there's a massive strain and it, Affects the relationship. sort of it becomes the focus of their life. And have you found that sort of emotional side of it will be the one factor that is you know causing these fertility issues? Um,
1: Well, I always say to patients, it's probably never one factor. It's lots of little factors that add up, and lots of things that have been overlooked. But I think the emotions can't be ever underestimated. So, and I think that because sadly. I think people are very um, reluctant to have too many open conversations with friends and family about their fertility journey. So often a lot of people don't know what other people are experiencing in that area. So, you know, people might feel the need to put on this big smiley face, but everybody asks couples, oh, are you planning on having children? Or, oh, what do you think about having kids? Not knowing that they may have had nine miscarriages or not knowing that they've been trying for five years. So I think it is incredibly difficult for some couples and sometimes what when you have a couple in front of you and they have been trying for 3 or 4 years or 5 years and they are absolutely strung out so sometimes we say to them it might be now a good time to take a break and let's use this next 3 months as a preconception healthcare window where we take the emphasis off trying and we're going to take the emphasis we're going to put the emphasis on you getting healthy and we're going to start doing all the little investigations that have been missed so that we can check you know what's happening with your vaginal microbiome what's going on here there and everywhere without this need to just be having intercourse every ovulation and without that being the sole focus of their whole relationship so it's some couples couldn't stop trying if they tried because they feel like they're wasting time and other couples you can see them breathe a sigh of relief and go oh thank goodness let's stop and they stop and they recalibrate and they learn more about the fertility side of things and they learn about all the factors and We always say to couples, we can't guarantee we'll get you pregnant, but we can guarantee we'll give you the best chance of getting pregnant. But absolutely along the way, we can guarantee you'll be the healthiest you've ever been. So it's really important that some couples taking that time off and addressing their emotional needs, so whether it's through counselling, whether it's you know, through um, different ways of managing their stress, so like we talked about before, whether it's meditating or yoga or just taking time out and looking after themselves and using some beautiful restorative herbal medicine and different, you know making sure that their nutrient status is good, it sometimes gives them the ability to understand their fertility, have a breather, and for some couples then they start again refreshed and ready to go. And sometimes, Michelle, sometimes when you have a couple and they've been trying for three years and then you do the tests on them and you say, you know, your tubes have, are blocked or you've got, you know, a, a, an issue with the sperm mucus interacting, it's like you can almost say those three years weren't real tries. They didn't count if the sperm can't get through the mucus, if the sperm can't get through fallopian tubes that are blocked. And it sort of almost takes the pressure off where they go, oh, thank goodness, there's a reason. So... It's very empowering for couples to walk the journey with you with great understanding every step of the way. What's being checked? Why is it being checked? What does it tell them? And so they understand their own fertility. And so educating our patients to be conversant in fertility is really important.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, people just, well, especially women, they just become more in touch with their body and just feel more empowered, don't they, when they have that knowledge and they understand things. Yeah, and also I think if they are going down the IVF
1: route, it gives them the language that they need to discuss it confidently with their specialist. So we say to people, you're paying your specialist to answer your question. So be confident. Go in there and say, Right, how many eggs did I harvest? How thick was my endometrial lining? You know, how good is my progesterone level? So I want them to be really conversant. If that's the road they're going down, they don't I don't want them to feel intimidated by it. I want them to feel that they're in a journey with their fertility specialist and that they are empowered to ask these questions and know every step of the way what's happening. And I think, you know, women and, and men can provide phenomenal insight into their own case. They might, you know, you might suddenly go, they might say, well, does it make a difference that, um, you know, my mum my and all my sisters have celiac disease? And you go, wow, yes, it does, because you're not absorbing your nutrients. And so sometimes they, they have these fundamental questions and no one's, uh, they haven't been able to ask anyone. And so for them to have a, a forum where they can ask questions and feel safe and then we can start sending them in the different directions to get you know investigations ticked off is empowering. It's like starting afresh starting and knowing where they're going is really important
0: absolutely it's yeah fundamental and I think because it is such a confusing and confronting time especially because people just think oh there's something wrong with me it's just what like one of these things that you just think oh I must be able to do it and then people start trying and then they realize there's an issue on the male or female side and again I think sometimes with relationships like there's that blame isn't it it's your fault no it's your fault and it's like you know it's and, uh and it's true and a wonderful doctor once said to me I think
1: you'll find if you find a little something on the man's side, you'll also find little something on the woman's side. And it seems like the number of times where you go, wow, he's got really compromised you know, motility, sperm out swimming in the right direction, or, you know, the, he's got really compromised morphology, but you also find she's got quite low progesterone levels. So I think it's, there's so many little factors that have to be ticked off that I think it stops the blame game. And, you know, it's so important because, you know, there's enough going on without that happening.
0: Absolutely. And as you say, you know, sort of in recent years, all the dietary lifestyle and environmental factors affects everybody. So, you know, it's going to affect both male and female in some way.
1: And I think that those areas are growing. I think we're exposed to more and more chemicals, I think people's diets. So, I mean, we haven't even touched on, you know, the issue of weight. So, you know, the issue, we have more and more people coming to see us and, you know, if we and I'm not a big fan necessarily of the BMI as a wonderful measurement of understanding a person's weight, but IVF labs are really clear in Australia. They don't want people whose BMI is too high because it's a danger for the woman. And you know, we have so many couples that come to see us, and both man and, and both the male and female are overweight. So if a man's particularly overweight, he actually we have the issue of when we have all this you know adipose tissue. So we have that sort of um, lovely big tummy with all the rolls. So um, when we have that, what men don't realise is that all those fat cells contain an enzyme called aromatase and it can be converting our testosterone through to estrogen. So when we say to a man, well, we need to check your estrogen levels, they're always like, oh, men don't have estrogen. You say, well, actually they do. And we need to, to test yours because, we, like we said, we need the the testosterone to be driving spermatogenesis not being converted to estrogen so we spend a lot of time with our couples who are carrying a wee bit too much weight to really work with them to understand that it's not conducive to their fertility journey and it's not going to be conducive to a healthy pregnancy either which is really important so we work a lot you know making sure that our couples are aware of the impact that weight may be having and how it may be impacting on both male and female fertility and then it's nice, they can work together to lose that weight. And sometimes women and men will, you know, take that sort of preconception window and go, right, that's it. Let's get those 20 kilos off. So, you know, I've worked with women and men who've lost, you know, 40, 50, 60 kilos. And you just go, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And and it's life-changing. But you also know that their offspring will be healthier. And, and it's really important that people understand it's not radical. We cannot have people, and, and you don't need to lose that sort of, very large amount of weight sometimes you only need to lose a few kilos sometimes you might need to lose five or ten but it is it mustn't be lacking in moderation it must be you know gentle manageable weight loss because anything that is a shock to the body is not particularly helpful for fertility
0: no absolutely absolutely and i think that would be quite pertinent for women that have pcos polycystic ovarian syndrome that's very much sort of management um, weight management. Yes. And I'm glad you raised that because
1: actually one of the things when we were talking before earlier about that, that test, the AMH, so anti-malarian hormone test where it's the, the one they sometimes call the egg timer test, it's really important for women to understand as well that if you have PCOS, your AMH may be raised. And so, you know, we want women to have a good AMH. But sometimes women will come to me and say oh my gosh my AMH is amazing I've, I'm so fertile I could have children forever and you say actually your AMH is raised because you have PCOS so it's important that a test is interpreted in context so some women have been told by their GPs oh you've got years up your sleeve you could keep trying for you know you you, you could try in five years time your AMH is so high but that means it's it's a it's a it's an issue it's a PCOS issue Um, And there are some other factors that it it might be. So it's important that contextually the tests are interpreted.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, really key point. Thank you for flagging that. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us. It's been absolutely fantastic. And I I know it's going to provide so much hope for many couples out there who might be struggling with fertility issues. So, So, Anna, where can people find more information about you and the work you do? So my clinic
1: is Perth Health and Fertility, and we have a website, which is perthhealthfertility.com.au and um, they can have a wee look on there, and it talks all about um, the different members of our team. And um, it's also got a really good resource section where patients can go and have a look at some of the studies we talked about. It links to the chemical databases. It links to information about phthalates. So, you know, different chemicals, different endocrine disrupting chemicals so that it just gives women a wee head start and men a, a wee head start so that they can start making some lifestyle fat, you know, changes
0: that can um, start improving their fertility. Excellent. So, yes, we'll pop, uh, we'll pop that in the show notes as well. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Anna for sharing her wealth of knowledge and experience with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Anna in the show notes on the CNM website at www.cnmpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about nutrition, herbal medicine or naturopathy, check out CNM's range of short courses and diplomas. And we also have a series of fertility and hormone health events coming up. And you can find all the details on the CNN website at www.naturopathy-uk.com under the events section. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.